Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you're able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. It's uh, <laughs> it's been fun on chat all day today, boys. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, the Ducks' win tonight against the San Jose Sharks, and then there, we'll talk briefly about the loss against the Colorado Avalanche. But most importantly, today we get to talk about all the great things Bob Murray has done for this organization, and why you guys should love him, especially based off the moves he did today, where he completely turned the franchise around. So uh, without further ado, we got to get to uh, to Stephen and Eddie who joined me on the show tonight because they are just full of excitement to talk about these trades and get you guys all caught up on today's news. What's going on, guys? <laughs> just start the show like a complete asset. So <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? God. Uh, okay. Well, I have our, I have our king behind me, as you can see. Yeah. It's a mirror to have a good time. It's gonna be all right. It's, it's good to be back. It's yeah. good to have a good time. Remember, we won four zero in a game in which we were very bad. Remember, if you're listening to this around the forty or fifty minute mark, that Pat said he's here to have a good time tonight. Oh, we're having a great time tonight. It's my. It's. it's I haven't been on the show in three weeks, uh, minus a Patreon over the weekend. So, before we get, dig into anything, thank you to for carrying the load honestly you guys have really stepped up and, and taken over the show so hats off well, to you guys you picked but, a good uh, time to return oh I, I it was it wasn't on purpose but it turned out magically <laughs> <laughs> well uh like you did mention the ducks lost 
4-1 to the Colorado Avalanche a couple games ago. I don't want to stick too much on that game, but uh, Drysdale scored in that game, got a second goal of his NHL career. He had five points in 11 games, now has five points in 12 games after tonight, but uh, just a great start to, to his young NHL career. And uh, Troy Terry picked up an assist on that game and continued his trend of somehow looking exceptionally well against the Colorado Avalanche. Like, he just plays... I, I don't know. He just plays at a, a completely another level when he goes against the Colorado Avalanche. And I know he's from Denver, and, and he played for Denver University, so there's something going for him Did there. He but really? He attempted, like, what, four or five toe drags in that game? And then, obviously, one of them was to set up Jamie Drysdale for the goal. I had no idea he was from the Denver area. Yeah, the, Dutch like the broadcast, Dutch broadcast never right? mentions that. Uh, they did when they when they brought him on, and then it kind of uh, uh, they had to mention it. They, that's uh, our broadcast is the type of broadcast that would mention that every time they had a breath. They do, yeah. hence the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam Carrick also picked up uh, an assist in that game and an assist tonight. He's got four points in five games. Since getting called back up to the Ducks, he's got a couple fights. Um, you know, we, there was rumors that Nick Deloria was going to be on the move to Pittsburgh and never materialized. But even even without him going, uh, you look at some of the expiring contracts at the end of this season. Sam Carrick looks to maybe have established himself as a pretty decent fourth liner for the Ducks going forward. Like he's not young; he's 29, but right. a pretty good stretch if you're looking to stick around the lineup. If you're Sam Carrick, yeah, there's no reason he shouldn't be you know, right up there when camp breaks next year. Like, there's no reason he shouldn't finish out the season up here. Um, you know, I don't really think there's anybody we're expecting to come back super healthy to make a huge difference. Like, you know, Rick Raquel comes, uh, gets off, comes back. Maybe Zegris slides back in. But beyond that, it's not much. Are we really going to see Zegris the rest of the season? I think we'll see him for four or five games at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, we're dwindling down, right? Are we at the 10, 10 game mark left? Well, he can only 12? play nine games. He can only play yeah. nine more games for that accrued season to not uh, take effect, and then he burns that extra year off uh, UFA status. So, if we see him at all, it'd be for like the last eight games of the season, and I'm sure they want to give him a few games in, in San Diego to kind of get used to playing center. So, I think kind of Stephen nailed it on the head there. Probably the last four or five games of the season. Uh, if we see him at all is when he'll come back up. But I, I believe there was a comment from Murray or Akins who said, like, the plan is that you should likely see him for at some point here near the end Whoa. of the season. Well, they have to. They're letting fans come back. Like, you got to yeah. put the prospect in front of the fans. Like, really, there's yeah. only five home games that they're going to play with people. Yeah, the, I mean, that's what he said, right? He was like, you should expect to see him sooner rather than later. Like, you know, so it's like an indeterminate thing, but it feels very new future. There's just enough games left in the season for him to go down, get his feet wet, come back up, play a few games in front of the fans. You know, honestly, especially when you do add in fans coming back into the building, it almost makes it worth it to be able to have him go down, get a couple of games in at center and come back up and kind of make his almost like a fresh debut at center at the NHL level in front of fans. You know, maybe he can still kind of, get that little bit of pop of playing in front of people because um, it'll be a little bit special, at least since he's come back. Well, there's and, a lot of home games coming up against the Kings too, right? So that should yeah. be always fun. Not, not a difficult team. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just an easy stretch of games for Trevor Zegers coming up. 
what do you guys think about Stolar's game tonight? I mean, he's he's a, a nice audition for the backup job in uh, 2020, 2021. I think, you know, pretty much every game he's come in this year, he's looked good. And this is obviously the best game of, of his career and his time with the Ducks. It's not something you're going to expect every game, but it, it feels nice to have somebody to look on to past Ryan Miller, right? We, we've relied on Ryan Miller for so long to be that guy who can come in as the backup and put in put in a shift and, and really, you know, get the players behind him and, and, and push the, the, the Ducks towards a win. And Anthony Stoller seems like he could be that guy. I know the Ducks kind of left him out to, to dry in a couple plays in this game. The Sharks hit three posts, so it's one of those shutouts where, you know, he made some really great saves, but you get some luck behind it as well. So There's it's no- not... There's no shutout that doesn't have a bit of luck, though. That's just the yeah. nature of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think he did all the things that he needed to do, and he got the breaks that he needed to get. And that's that's the recipe for that kind of thing, you know? I think, I mean, hell, you could say that was the theme for the whole night, which is, like, the Ducks did literally just enough. Like, whatever the bare minimum of things that they had to do, they did literally that much to score four goals and then the rest of it was like fuck it this guy wants to play in the nhl let's just see what he can do in front of the sharks team that we're not even going to try to stop in that first 12 minutes though where the three goals were scored uh, like and on those plays it felt i felt like san jose was just super lazy super lazy on a lot of those plays and Mm -hmm. it just looked like they were just puck watching for a couple of those goals and then uh, Volkov's second goal, I swore it was a Sam Steele goal. I didn't even know he touched the puck. I'm like, did he actually? Did he like smack uh, Hurdle's stick into the into the puck? Is that why it scored? But I went back, watched the replay, and it was tipped. But but yeah, I agree. Stolarz was amazing tonight. Um, I mean, Raquel with a snipe, uh, Comtois. What the hell, man? What a nice tip. And you know, the broadcast I thought did a good, pretty good job tonight, which I, I rarely compliment them. But uh, zeroing in on all his goals that he had, or the like nine of his goals. Yeah, that was a net. nice package that they put together. I was like, damn. That was really cool. Pretty noticeable when you do that. This guy's got like a, a taste for the front of the net like that. We talk about Max Jones doing that, but obviously Comtois, not just a sniper, he's, he's pretty good around the crease. He's yeah. one of those guys that finds himself in the right position. Like right when that goal was scored, I remembered a play from a few games ago where Jamie Drysdale set him up on a similar play mm-hmm. where he just fired a strike of a pass to the back post and Comtois was just waiting there with a stick on the ice. And then you look at the highlight package they put together and you find out, yeah, he's been doing that a lot this year. And yeah, he's got a great shot and, and you know, he can, he can score goals in different ways, but he, he's just that guy who always seems to find himself in the right space at the right time, which is exactly the type of player you need when you're going to have, you, know, you have pastors like Ryan Getzlaff in the team and you're eventually going to have, you know, a player like Trevor Zegers in your lineup on a nightly basis, he's kind of the exact guy you would want to have with an elite playmaker like Zegers, where he can get into those spots, and no matter where he is on the ice, Trevor Zegers is going to find him. Well, that's the other thing, right, is I think that the the style that his game is, where he is kind of a physical power forward, crash the net type, is you don't think of what he's doing as being cerebral, but it is. It's really smart. What he does is he finds soft areas. He knows where all the little slips and cracks and defenses are. He knows, you know, kind of how to position himself to create screens or to create opportunities. You know, that's that 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 kind of like heat map around, you know, the crease. It paints a pretty clear picture, I think, of somebody who who understands how to leverage their ability to be an effective goal scorer. And I think that is a type of 
you know, hockey IQ that because he's scoring goals, we just go, oh, he's a good finisher instead of just kind of appreciating the fact that he's actually just being really smart. He creates a lot of space, right? He gets yeah. into those soft areas, as, as they as they say all the time. But he does. And that package, I think, kind of really highlighted his, his game pretty effectively. Uh, but other than that, this game was pretty brutal. The Ducks were effectively just getting trucked like from the second period on. I think the route shot was at 18-3 or something like that, or maybe 19-3 to in the second period. I don't remember the final total of the second bad. period. It was rough. That was a rough go. But uh, they, they pulled it off, right? And a lot of that, though, to me, was Stolar's. But uh, do you guys want to get to anything interesting that happened tonight or today that maybe wasn't the game? Because yeah, uh, everybody's here for the trade deadline talk. Oh which God, is, which for good for good reason and bad reason, because the Ducks made two moves. So uh, did they, they weren't the moves we were expecting? Did real quick, moves? okay. So let's do the whole you know paint the whole picture, right? So for the last oh what ten days, we've heard pretty consistently. The Ducks are taking calls on Manson and they're taking calls on Raquel and that they want a first and a prospect for both of them. That is their asking price. Then we see Savard get traded. We see Felino get traded. We see a couple of other guys get traded. Last night, it comes out that Nick Delorier is being traded to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Then that gets backtracked. But now it's out there that they could be looking to offload Nick Delorier. Pittsburgh is interested. Brian Burke, Truculans, all that shit happens. Um, and, you know, maybe it seems like from an Anaheim perspective that uh, it might not, that maybe a little bit of more weirder things than we might have thought of is going to be in play here. Come to today, nothing all day. Absolute silence. Get to the end of the day, they announce two trades. Ben Hutton to Toronto for a 2022 fifth. And Yanni Hockenpah and a sixth-round pick for Hayden Fleury to Carolina. Cut to now Pat is pissed. <laughs> that's, that's the understatement of the year, um, that Pat is pissed. But, yeah, those those were the two deals for today. And, uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll let Pat explain himself. We've been going back and forth in, in Twitter and Discord all day. Um, so I'll, I'll let Pat, you kind of take, take, the, take the wheels here and, and explain your rage uh, to everybody in, uh, that's listening right now. Well, I have, I have a, uh, a really difficult time supporting, the, I, I guess you could say, not just Bob Murray, but the organizational's outlook as to how they handle their roster. And handle their players and their prospects, picks, whatever you want to call it. The whole, the whole thing, the assets, right? Um, I've defended Bob Murray, even though I've kind of teased about him a bunch, especially about Bobby's breakfast, the season ticket holder stuff. It's all, it's all cheek, you know, tongue in cheek, and just being funny. But I really have defended the guy. It, 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 it takes a lot to be successful in this league for a long time, and he was for four or five years. This team was ultra competitive. Yeah, we lost in game sevens, and those were not fun. But to be there all the time and be at, you know, the cusp of getting over the hump and winning takes a lot. And then you always have a downturn. Totally understandable. I get going through a rebuild. This dude refuses to admit that this is a rebuild. This dude refuses to make moves like this is a rebuild. He literally, in my opinion, is just making uh, trades that are moving out mediocrity and moving in mediocrity. I I don't see a way. If you don't trade a veteran... To bring in younger players or young or, or assets to get younger players, 
you're missing the mark time and time again. And we've talked about this so many times on this show. So it blows me away that people are like, it's not that bad. I'll wait till the offseason. Dude, we've been waiting for that for years at this point. Everyone says, yeah, you know, rebuilds three to five years or whatever. Sure, they can be. But, like, this guy's signing people to contracts. <clears throat> Jacob Silverberg, Adam Henrique trading for guys and then you know moving them out but they're not it's not like it's bringing anything into this team that is giving us an influx of like the next generation of player people get all excited about assets and i think that I, I, it's probably with every team in the nhl overvalue prospects overvalue as a fan you're like oh i love that guy i love this guy but like we don't really have anybody outside of trevor zegas and jamie drysdale that stand out on this team and those guys were extremely high picks um, you look at the you know the guys we talk about here. I mean, I like Ma- I like Max Jones and I like Sam Steele. I used to, but like I feel like all those guys, including Troy Terry, they all kind of fit in that middle. Comtois has been nice, but like, what is he doing other than just bringing in guys who are like middling players on any team? What has he done? Everyone's like, oh, wait till the offseason when the expansion draft comes. Oh, cool. So that way, you know, Raquel loses that extra that extra season off his contract. That's great. What is Bobby doing? So I, I don't know what he's a- doing. Here. Is this a failed deadline then because he didn't move them? It's a failed deadline because he has imposed to basically everybody that this is not a rebuild. We're here to win. We expect to win. That's what we're doing here. Has he not seen the roster that he's been fielding all year with with Dallas Eakins? Really? Like, his roster choices are terrible. And you know that he has a say in that kind of stuff along with Eakins. It's a complete failed trade deadline. It's garbage. Like, okay, fine. Hayden Fleury could be good. Maybe. We don't know. He's not like this. He wasn't, like, heavily sought after. He didn't even move veterans, right? He moved Yanni Hockenpah and Ben, and ben Hutton, who was basically, like, an injured reserve. I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, tag, tag I'm in because someone's hurt. Fine. Deleted, fine. Those guys were both at the end of their 20s, which is exactly the age of guys. Okay, but fine, but, like, out. he didn't bring anything that moves the needle at all for me to, that's going to speed anything up. Everyone's going to hate me for saying this, but I wouldn't. Have, I would too. not have been upset if Getzloff got traded. Would not have been upset about it because he literally was doing it like he's going to fall on his sword for his team. If they could bring yeah. back, back assets, I'm down to do it. Everyone's freaking out. What if he goes to Vegas? Who gives a shit? This we'll, t- we'll get to. Like we're going to get, gonna get to Getzloff later because I don't. I don't. I, that's a whole other topic I want to talk but about. The trade but deadline like, in a whole. Sorry, to me was an F. I, it's just garbage to me. This whole thing is garbage. We're going sit to sit through this for next year when he's still GM? See, the, my, my problem with that is, like, I get where you're coming from, and, I, and I've, been, I've been hard on Murray for the last couple of seasons where he hasn't traded guys when he should have, and Silverberg and Henrik are at the top of my list before they got contracts, unrestricted free agents. They probably should have been traded at the deadlines where they were in the last year of their contract and would have been rentals for other teams. He didn't do that. And now we're stuck with two contracts that are clearly very difficult to move. And, and Adam Henrique is kind of exhibit A there passing through waivers unclaimed this year. Yeah, despite, you know, now producing at, at a better level recently, he's still a very hard contract to move at his age and the term and the amount that he makes. But the, the big thing for me today is, is both deals. Ben Hutton for a fifth. That's a that's a W as small as it is because he was a player you signed as a, P- a PTO at the beginning of the season. You got a fifth round pick for you know a, a guy that it was an unrestricted free free agent at the end of the season anyway and really wasn't doing much for your team. And then the Hayden Flurry trade, it, you know again it, like you said it doesn't move the needle, but 
Yanni Hakim is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. He's not a guy that's likely going to be a long-term player on this team. You add a six-round pick to that, which you've offset in the deal for Ben Hutton because you got a fifth. And you bring in a 24-year-old former seventh overall defenseman who has played only 13 minutes a night over the last couple seasons. And the the one season where he played more than 13 minutes a night, analytically speaking, he looked excellent. And like he was trending to be a play-driving, shut-down defenseman that he was projected to be out of the draft. That's a, a win to get a player like that in. And, you know, maybe it pans out, maybe it doesn't, but you don't really lose anything at the end of the day. You lose Hockenpah, who you would have lost at the end of the year. Are you, in a six are you really thinking, you know, that, I mean, because to me, Bob Murray's literally stepping over $20 bills to pick up dimes or to pick up a buck. Like, he literally, and then he had the balls to come out and say that nobody was offering a first for either of those guys. Like, are you insane? Do you really think that's the case, or is that saving face? I mean, we don't really know. I don't buy it. Though. That's the thing. I don't buy it. We don't know. And, you know, like, I'll pass it over to Steven because I know he's got his opinions on this, too. But the, the big thing for me with that is is we don't know what the return was on any of these deals, what the offers were put in place. So it, it's fair to criticize him for not making moves, but it's not like these guys were unrestricted free agents. They have another year left. You can trade them at the draft. You can trade them next year as UFAs. And, and the, the price as a rental next year is going to be relatively similar to the price that you could have fetched for them this year, clearly because he wasn't getting what he wanted. Today was not the only day he could have traded him. Jesus Christ. Like, he's had a long time to make moves and make deals. Sorry, Stephen, go ahead, please. I'll, no, I'll no, 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 no. You guys no, are I'll, keep, I'll keep yammering. Go. I, I think I think it's, it's worth kind of appreciating that there's kind of a bunch of different things that we're all kind of talking about, right? There is the big picture total score what Bob Murray's tenure has been, what it's become, where it's headed, right? Then there's the individual decisions that he's made. Then you have the semi-cumulative nature of those decisions as the roster that it is with all the players and difficulties and deficiencies and all the things about it. And then you also kind of have the part of us that is still the fan, which is looking for hope. And I think for a lot of people, they looked at this deadline as a sign or as an opportunity to see things from the organization that reflected how they felt, right? Make some of these trades, get assets that are younger, that are closer to the window in which we can see ourselves becoming competitive again. Whereas... And, and I think that's totally fair, but I don't think the organization did that. And so the question becomes, were the prices not there? Were they asking for too much? Well, the problem and is, I, is that Bob Murray said one thing, that he's going to win now. His team is doing the complete opposite. He has all season here, to make deals and wheel. Quick, he does quick. nothing. We, you're reaching, quick. though. We do burn Bob Murray a little bit for this. He did. He did say, I want to be competing for a playoff spot. That's a win-now thing, and I get it. But he didn't say this is a division-winning team. What he expected is a team in the race. I That's fine. I have no problem with him saying that publicly. It's about a lot of the decisions and things like that. 
I think we all know exactly the type of person Bob Murray is, and I think we all know that he's not going to be out here on some more fucking tanking shit. Even if he is doing his version of that, he's never going to say those things because he's just a fucking old-school dude. Like, he's very professional and rigid and all this shit, you know? And so I think... That's why we have to kind of read the tea leaves here with all the different moves. And so the Flurry trade is objectively a good trade. The Hutton trade is objectively a good trade. Their last year, I think he made more good trades than bad trades. And I think both of those things can be true. And I still think that this is starting to get dicey moving forward. Okay, objectively good good trades. These are W's. On what scale are you looking at here? Like, uh, where are these W? Are there W's on the fact that it's a small-time move to, to upgrade very slightly one asset so to get another? The these are not, it's the nothing. Thing. These don't mean they're anything good. in the long run, man. But that's not true, mm. and I don't think it's fair to say that. Okay. I, because every time a team wins the Stanley Cup, we spend three months in the offseason talking about all the minor players on that team and where they came from. This guy's a third-round pick. That guy's a fifth-round pick. They got this guy at the deadline last year for nothing. Oh, that guy they got unsigned. And we spend all this time talking about how great all those little moves are and how much they added to the easy part, which is knowing what a star is, mm -hmm. right? So I don't think we can fucking have it both ways where these moves don't matter in the long run, but then when the end goal comes, we say that they all mattered from backwards. So I, I hear what you're getting at with that, right? Because you could look at dynasties where those, where those things matter. I see what you're saying. Like, look at the Blackhawks, right? Like, who was playing third line D? Oh, he's giving breaks to the guys who are, who, who, you know, who are, who are out there all the time, right? I, mean, that's, I get what you're saying, Duncan Keith and... Uh, is, you know, he's able to play his game because there's guys that uh, aren't necessarily stars that fill the gaps. Nicholas I, I get it. Yeah, they've got I get those it. depth guys who play good roles. The thing we don't is, have anything here going but, forward. Okay, so here's the thing. It is a perfectly legitimate thing to say there are multiple opportunities for him to have gotten high value and high potential young assets to improve the long-term future of this team. That's totally justifiable. The bitch of it is, is he has a small out here. They are not rental trades. He doesn't have to. He still has an opportunity to maximize their potential this summer or next trade deadline. Not buying it. You may not think he's going to do it, but it is a thing that he can do. They're all right. another, they're all another possible, year older. Not probable. They all have but, more propensity to, you know, to play more games and get injured. There's a lot of things going on that happen in, in, in cycles, oh, right? I'm not saying that get, it's not. He, he a, doesn't a sell goal. when people are at their peak worth, right? He's like, I'm going to hold back and sit back and see what happens. He even says he doesn't like making big deal, big big trades at the deadline. He's more of a he's more of a uh, uh, a draft guy. Fine. Yeah, but there, there's evidence to show he tried today. Because it's been put out there that the original deal with Carolina involved Josh Manson as the focal point of that deal, and it fell apart for whatever reason. Now, the the thing that we can we can debate this for days, and we'll never know, is what are the what was the details of that specific offer? What were the offers he got for Ricard Raquel? What did he inevitably turn down? Mm -hmm. And was it? something that we would have all been mad at him exactly. trading Manson or Raquel for to begin with. And I, you know, they're all hypothetical situations because Pat, if I, if it came out and it was Josh Manson 
and the Ducks were going to get a first-round pick and Nick Suzuki, or not Nick Suzuki, Ryan Suzuki from Carolina. Yeah, I'd be pissed because you should be getting a first-round pick. You should be getting a top prospect. And if we those are on know. the table, you have to take that deal. Yeah, 100%. And, and if you were going to only get a second-round pick for Josh Manson, we'd be sitting here right now saying, why the hell did he not wait and hold on to Josh Manson and get more for him in the draft or next season, and all you got is a second-round pick for him? People, people did would be maybe. nuts. People Maybe. did that last year with Kasha, where it was, oh, they had to take back Bacchus' salary to get a first, and they shouldn't have had to done that, and they sold low, and blah, blah, blah. It's poor asset management. I, we, I, we can be frustrated with decisions Bob Murray is making. We can be frustrated with the fact that it doesn't always feel like there's a plan. I have no problem with that, but we can't argue against ourselves with what we're looking for. And that's the one thing I just think we need to be a little bit careful of. Because if I, it's 100% true. If it would have, if he would have traded Josh Manson for a third round pick and a conditional fourth or some bullshit like that, everyone would have lost their shit. And it would have been he sold low and blah, 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 not to ignoring the fact that. He moved the contract out. He got rid of an older guy. He got in two draft picks. That's better than no draft picks, right? That's got to matter. Like, so he has a little bit of a buffer because they're not UFAs this summer. The expansion draft complicates that. The realities of anything can happen between now and then complicates that. I'm not saying that there aren't risk. Uh, there aren't risks involved with the decisions he's making. But what I am saying is that I don't think we were talking about a Raquel trade last year, last season. Let yeah. me say it. Let me like, say this, it. This is done. my problem. These things deadline? we're talking about. Fine, we could get to, we could get to the expansion draft. I get COVID plays a lot on this. I get you know quarantine plays a lot on this. I understand uh, you know money and they don't they don't really know what the outlook is for for the next season yet, right? They're not really sure what's going to be happening. So bringing on assets that cost more money maybe not the best idea. It was harder to make trades. I I get that. I get that there's a lot of unknowns that you know we don't know exactly what was offered. Problem is, is this asshole has had several seasons to move out veteran players when they were underperforming, but people still liked them. And like Raquel would have been money last year to trade. Now he waits. Now where he gets, he slams his head on the ice, misses a shit ton of games, comes back. Yeah, he scored the night, but like he's not lighting the world on fire, right? After you know he he could have done it earlier. He's had time to make these moves. I don't think that this value that our players have, our veteran players, is going to go up come summer. I don't think it's going to all of a sudden skyrocket, and now we're going to get what we want. I, I just, I, I don't see it happening. No, no, no. I have Their such a hard time with Bobber. Their value is objectively going to go down, but what they are is players who fit a type and are of a level of uh, desirability, for lack of a better way to say it, that they are going to be attractive, and they are the type of players that we have traditionally seen leveraged for high-end prospects, or first-round picks. The thing that he had this year was the opportunity, because it was two playoff runs, to get both of those things. Remember the Kessler deal? They were going to get the 10 and the, and the late. They were going to get the pick that ended up being Nick Ritchie. But Bob Murray took that off the table because he didn't get him at the deadline, yep. and he didn't get to have him for that extra playoff run. So I think it is fair to say that from a big-picture perspective, this is a very frustrating, disappointing, and not the most encouraging deadline as far as where the organization is headed, philosophically. 
I don't think this deadline is fatal. There's nothing that had that did or didn't happen today that they can't pivot or recover from quickly moving forward. I they agree can things still can change. Trade. I, it's just not the track record of this organization is not great. Right, but that's and that's my thing. If we want to criticize the big picture thing, that's fine. But nothing today is fatal. And that's what I am getting frustrated with is it's this thing like you know, it's officially we have set the events in motion to bring down the rapture. Like it's fucking ridiculous. No, it's it's not. It's not bringing it's down the rapture. That it's it's completely not going to argue that. It's cumulative, it's right? Fatal. Like it's it's all added together. At least for me, and like I want to address Chris and chats. Like three seasons is not several. It's been four seasons, man. Getting swept by San Jose blows. Like that season was not great. Not a great season. Buy out Corey Perry. Uh, there's a lot that goes on these last few years. We, I don't even want to talk. I don't want to say Theodore because that's a whole other. <laughs> that's it's a whole a other situation. Whole other thing it, that happens. But yeah, I want to see what happens here. I, I, uh, I I've just lost like, faith in uh, in the direction of the organization. I've been a pretty big supporter. I'm not going to stop being a fan. I'm not going to stop going to games or watching games or any of that stuff. But like, next year is not going to be good either. Sorry, it's not. So we're at four. So is this team competitive in three more years? Like, Are they a playoff team? I, I, I can agree with being mad that they hadn't done something already. Like, Ricard Raquel should have been traded already. Josh Manson probably should have been traded already, just like Silverberg and Henry Henry should have to signal a rebuild sooner rather than later. I can agree with that 100%. I do, would say, though, Raquel and Manson getting not getting moved today does not mean this deadline is a failure because of all the factors that went into this deadline and the fact they're not unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. It's more Were you failure, not sitting around today waiting for something big to happen and you were severely disappointed? Yeah, I, yeah. I'll say, 100%. yeah, I was just disappointed okay. that nothing big happened today. But I, I thought I was alone here on that. I'm like, you guys are insane. Are yeah. you serious? Well, no, no def- I'm definitely disappointed. But if the offers weren't there, then I'm not. And I, and I hate this argument because I have to address it here. I saw it a couple people saying in the chat, oh, well, David Savard got a first and a third and Nick Foligno got a first. Honestly, this is the only deadline I can sit here and say rental players were probably more desirable for those teams this year than guys like Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson were because David Safard doesn't have to get protected with the expansion draft. They don't have to worry about having his cap hit on the books for another season past this one. They had to get it retained twice to even make it work for Tampa Bay for this year with the flat cap. It just made sense for Tampa Bay to bring that guy in on a one-year deal or like a, for the rest of this season for a playoff push to try and win a Stanley Cup. The Leafs bring in Nick Foligno because he's a good fit for their organization. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. He's likely going to go back to Columbus. They had to reduce his salary twice again to get that under the books. There's no way they could have made that work for next season. And they only pay him about $1.25 million because that's all they could afford to get done. They're, the, the list of teams that were willing to bring in Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson with that second year on, they have to protect them in the expansion draft. Otherwise, you're paying more for them to be essentially a rental because they're going to go to Seattle to begin with. And then the amount of teams that could fit them under the cap next year as well, with the cap potentially not even going up next year. And then with Manson's case, the 10 teams that he has said he doesn't want to go to, you have to work that into it. Winnipeg was clearly one of those teams. I think if Winnipeg was a team he said he'd go to, he'd be in Winnipeg right now. Mm-hmm. The Jets didn't do anything at the deadline. They needed a defenseman. I, th- I think they got one. It was a depth defenseman. I can't even remember who it was. I think it was Jordy Ben who they brought in mm-hmm. yeah. for basically nothing. 
uh, honestly, if, if Manson had a waived his no-move clause and were to go to Winnipeg, I think he'd be a Winnipeg Jet after today because I think the Jets were willing to move their first-round pick and potentially a prospect to get it done, and it just didn't materialize for them. So I And, and again, I'm going all over the place here, but the, the David Savard thing and the Nick Foligno thing and the Anthony Mann thing, comparing all these deals and saying, well, this team paid this for that, doesn't mean that was the market for the Ducks. And you look at Bob Murray come out at the end of the day and say nobody was offering first-round picks and we didn't really want any picks outside the first round, which I can actually kind of get behind. I would rather a prospect in the age of 20 to 24 than a second-round pick at this point in the, in, in the stage of the Ducks' rebuild with the, the, how much the young players are developing. I can't be mad at that because if the offers weren't there and it's something we'll never know, I was not willing to come out of today and undersell Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel when you don't have to because they have another year on their deal Mm -hmm. where you can trade them without the expansion draft in the way. You can move them at the draft. You can move them at the deadline next year. Do I I have full faith he's going to do that? No. You're right. That's a whole other question. I can be mad at him for not trading Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson down the road, but I'm not going to sit here and say I'm mad at him for not selling low on these guys right now. Yeah. You guys are right on that. Both of you guys are 100% <laughs> right on that take. Not denying that. The problem for me here lies that th- he didn't trade them prior to this year, and he didn't trade them again this year, because he felt this team was going to be competitive. That's the only reason, which is insane to me. This team is not good. It hasn't been good. Yeah. Y- you now- only you, – he should have gotten rid of them before this so my biggest issue with that though is he waits until all the way until the deadline today to do jack shit he does jack shit and he's he you know everyone's on the chopping block i'm gonna scratch veterans i'm uh, i'm angry now dude too little too late man if you waited all this time you better have something to show for so like his last chance to make any sort of impression other than what he showed this franchise and uh his fan base rather is the draft. If he flubs that, like, <laughs> that is yep. seriously going to be damaging, I feel like, not forever, but longer than people think it's going to be. You retain yep. these assets that are veteran and aging and not producing, go pull up Manson's stats. Go pull up Ricard Raquel's stats. They all suck, right? Because the team sucks. So you want to move players that maybe need to go somewhere else and, and maybe have a better chance to be successful. He hasn't done it with anybody. I'm fully prepared to get mad at him at the draft or next deadline if he doesn't trade these guys and or and then potentially re-signs them to contract extensions. I'm fully prepared to get mad at him for that because I know there, there's a possibility that that's what happens because of his track record. 100% I can get behind that. Chris, so why not, did he not trade them? Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to hear what Chris said in chat. He's no, always no against worries. me. It, like, the, the reason I said you were reaching earlier in the podcast is because it was at the beginning of the season he said they were a win-now team. It was ridiculous to say that at the beginning of the season. But all of his comments recently have been saying, okay, we're, you know, we're going to take offers on some of these guys, and we're looking for you know, first-round picks, and we're looking for younger prospects to put into this system. I don't think it means he's fully changed his philosophy and now he's embracing a rebuild by any means. But you can't take something he said before the season started and apply it to this deadline and be like, yeah, this is why he didn't do it, because he still thinks at this point on April 12th that the Ducks are a playoff team. 
I don't think there's no way he doesn't believe that. And you look at the comments right now, he mm-hmm. doesn't believe the Ducks right now are a playoff team. No, his, his tune changed midway why. through this year when he was like, oh, Minnesota's not going to die yeah. when we play him? Well, okay. He was stupid for believing that in the first place, but you can't sit here and say he, well, he didn't move Raquel and Manson at the deadline because he thinks the Ducks are a playoff team. I just honestly yeah. think the offers went there because I don't think it was a lack of trying. And we can get into this deal now because we talked about it before, but like Ryan Getzloff attempted to trade him today. I don't think you do that if you think you're a playoff team. You don't move your captain. You try no. and, you're trying to get some assets for Ryan Getzlaff. He tried to move Josh Manson. There's a legitimate report out there from Nick Alberga. I think I'm getting his name right, that Josh Manson was part of the original deal with Carolina, and it fell apart. And that's likely because Carolina was not willing to meet the asking price, which was probably a first-round pick plus a prospect. And it devolved into Hayden Fleury for Hackenpaw in the sixth because Hackenpah was a, a significantly lesser version of what uh, Josh Manson was and what the Carolina Hurricanes were looking for. So there was at least mm-hmm. evidence this year that he was trying. And Ricard's, Raquel's name was out there for a reason because there was a ton of teams calling and he was listening. And as we've seen several people report, the price was high and it was a first-round pick plus a prospect. And I don't think anybody was willing to pay that or many teams were in a position to work a deal out that included Ricard Raquel being a part of that team next year. I don't think there's many teams who could just make that work with the players they have to protect in the expansion draft with the salary cap issues. And I think a lot of those things clear up at the draft and, and into next season and the deadline. But then you run the risk, like you said, of do they get injured? And does the value go down if they are a year older and the production still tails off next year because the Ducks aren't a good team? But you then you just have to weigh the, the, the odds there. Would you rather take a second-round pick for him now or a third-round pick in a, in a no-name prospect and take the risk that you, you, you get something more or something less next year? I'd rather take the risk because I still think the value is not going to be significantly lower next year as a rental or at the draft than it is right now. And you can still get a first-round pick. You see a deadline day every single year. The players who get first-round picks... I can sit here with confidence and say, even if Ricardo Raquel produced at the same level he is this year and Josh Manson is the same player as he is this year, next year, they can get first-round picks at the deadline. They will be near the top of teams' wish lists for a right-shot defenseman or a top-six contributor offensively uh, among the other players who will be rentals next year. And you'll get a first-round pick for both of those guys. So what does that do, though, effectively, right? You wait again. Yeah, you wait again, and, wait and again. yeah, you don't get a pick. Now, would I rather have a first-round pick in 2022 in, uh, or 2021 than 2022? Yes, because that guy essentially gets here a year sooner, potentially, depending on their development, than a guy in 2022. I also don't like this argument that, oh, 2022 or 2021's a weak draft, so I'd rather have a 2022 pick. You, you, you just are devaluing the draft before you even get to it and see But you results. also don't have to use those picks to make picks. You could use those picks to move up. You could use those picks in a trade. Like, th- those assets don't have to be guys you draft. That's yeah. that's the other part of it, too, that I like. I, I mean, I can get into what I think the value of draft picks are outside of the first 20 and how, you know, a, a 25th pick is the same as a 45th pick, and it doesn't really matter unless you're moving into the top 20. Uh, but that that's a whole another discussion for for another show. But yeah, I mean, if if you like the the Blue Jackets this year, the two picks they got are likely going to be late first. They got a first from the Leafs and a first from the, the Lightning. Those are two teams that could meet in the conference final. Yeah, those, those should be, be at least twenty eight, twenty nine. 
yeah, they're they're going to be very late picks. Uh, and then it's only really valuable at that point if you package maybe those up and move into the top 20 if you can. Uh, but they're all these are all hypothetical situations. Like, yeah, if the Ducks picked up another first-round pick, great. But I think they would have, they could have this year. I just don't think the offers were there. I just don't think somebody was willing to give a first-round pick plus for Ricardo, Raquel, and Josh Manson at this deadline. That's the only reason I don't, th- I, I don't think it's a failure. I think as a whole... Bob Murray's decisions over the last couple of years and to not deal Ricardo Raquel and Josh Manson sooner is a failure. I just don't think this deadline specifically and not moving them at this deadline is a failure if the offers just weren't there. The only saving grace of this deadline was that they didn't trade D'Lo. That's for me. Yeah, I, I still I still wish I knew more behind that because I don't know where Elliot Friedman got his source from that, but I'm sure he's not happy. He doesn't really choke too many deals, and let alone a fourth liner to the, yeah, no the Pittsburgh Penguins. But it's Brian Burke. You know, Brian Burke gets his deals done. He he likes his players. He brings in Jeff Carter. I'm sure Nick Deloria was a guy they were interested in. Clearly, the, the discussions went to a certain point where they were almost uh, over the line. I'm wondering if, if Bob Murray honestly just pulled out of that deal because it got leaked before they wanted it to, to happen. And maybe the return was like a sixth-round pick or a fifth-round pick or something. But I would I would have taken anything for Nick DeLaurier because whatever you get in return, I think, is a net positive at that point. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, had Hayden Fleury signed for one more year after this? Yeah, one more year. He okay. turns 25 someone, someone in summer in July. Chat, so. okay. Yeah, I was just looking it up right now. He turns 25 in July. He's uh, got another year at 1.3. So I think it's worth pointing out. GMs are inherently risk-averse. When you make a decision that is bold or risky, it's easier to get that, you know, have it look have it look worse and bounce back on you and you're more likely to get fired right it's like when you go for it on fourth down if it fails you look like an idiot because you should have just punted it or whatever like that kind of crap so i think this year there is a bunch of factors that add extra excuses built in for gms not to do anything and so I do think that Eddie's right that like the reason I, I do think actually the reason that the picks that got made for first got made is because either it was someone they were definitively going to be protecting in Mantha, who is signed for like four more years after this or something crazy, or it's they were trading for guys that they weren't going to have to worry about uh, once the summer comes around and they, they were almost paying not to have to protect them. So, you know, I, I think it's stupid. I think you should still, you know, Anaheim still should have made deals. I think they should have been aggressive. They should have looked into taking back money. I think they should have been aggressive and engaged and trying to be creative, you know, trying to pick up third, fourth, and fifth round picks by taking on money or things like that, like seeing what little things that they can do. I'm definitely disappointed with how this day went. I think they had a real opportunity to 
give a serious kick in the ass to the rebuild. I, I definitely think it's a missed opportunity. But I, I do think there is a degree to which it is being made out as a complete and total failure. And I feel like that's an unfair mischaracterization that I think is more reflective of everybody's emotion and like, you know, where we're at with the situation and less reflective of where the roster is actually at. Because if they were going to be UFAs, then you'd take whatever you can get. Right? That's why yeah. you fucking you take the best offer at that point. Right? That's why you embarrass yourself and take a second for Taylor Hall, right? Because you weren't going to get it anyways. <laughs> you'd rather just take yeah. it. And he had complete control of that situation because they were dumb enough to give him a no-move clause on a one-year deal. Yeah, exactly. I, I, can, I could not believe that trade. And then I also couldn't believe the hatred for Taylor Hall on Twitter. But how he but sucks the, and has to hide behind other players. And it's like, the thing I hate, again, is already, we already mentioned it in comparing Ricard and Krell and, and Manson potential deals to Savard and Felino and other guys. Everybody's comparing like the fact that Florida gave up uh, Heineman, who's a second-round pick of their own, and a second-round pick for Sam Bennett, and be like, oh, Calgary got more for Sam Bennett than the Sabres got for Taylor Hall. Well, yeah. Sam Bennett sass. Taylor Hall carried an $8 million contract and had a no-move clause and basically said, I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going to Boston. That's it. Because the Leafs weren't going to... There was teams who were interested. I think that it was reported the Islanders had a deal in place for Hall and decided to go for Palmieri and Zajac because they fit the system better. I think the list of teams legitimately interested in Taylor Hall was like three or four. Well, and at the I end of the day, he could were... just choose. That's what I was going to say. I I think the teams he was legitimately interested in was three or four. I think everybody, if they thought they'd had a chance of it, because you got to figure it was Toronto, Boston, Colorado. The Islanders were in there and probably Florida. I would would say You think he might link to go to Florida? I think they moved out cap space for a reason, and at the end of the day, all they added was Montour and Bennett. Oh, no. Because I think more teams would have been involved if you can add him regardless. What I'm yeah. saying is, is, like you said, because he has all that kind of control, I do think it 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 reduced the number of people who were even involved to start with because there were certain teams who were like, oh, yeah, he, he's not going to waive it to come here. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know there were quotes that came out from him today and, and also quotes from Kevin Adams, the Sabres GM, where it was it, it basically felt like, Taylor Hall held them hostage and was saying, I want to go to Boston. That's where I want to go. And he, there was an interview I think he did with TSN where he basically said, I've been trying to go to Boston for the last couple seasons. <laughs> and it just hasn't worked out. And now he's he's finally there. And guy's finally on a, an actual good team and, and is not going to be relied upon to be the guy, right? Like he's got three or four better players in front of him in Boston where everywhere he's gone, he's kind of been, you know, the one or two guy in that organization so uh but but my Taylor point Hall with, for con smythe let's go yeah like the, my, my point with all that was was comparing that deal to the sam bennett deal on the surface is is the problem i have with with everybody comparing certain deals to certain deals because there's so many other things that went into it like all the nuances behind the taylor hall deal changed what the sabers could get in return because at the end of the day they had one team saying you know we're the only ones left interest in Taylor Hall. This is what we're going to give you. Take it or leave it. And they had to take it. And they got a second in, in Bjork from the Sabres. Meanwhile, 
sure there was a number of suitors interested in Sam Bennett. The Florida Panthers were kind of put in the situation where they had to do something. They needed to, to you know, react to what every other team in, in their division and across the Eastern Conference was doing. And they overpay a little bit for Sam Bennett. But the deals themselves really can't be compared and say, oh, well, the, the Flames got more for, for Bennett than the Sabres did for Hall. And that means the Sabres are, are stupid and their organization sucks. It's like, at well, the end that, of the day, if you have one true. offer that out of you, it was well, a pretty boring trade deadline, for, honestly. For a number of reasons. Well, boring. except for the Mantha deal that came in at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, it, was, it seemed pretty boring. Shout out to Iserman, saving everybody from all. Uh, the boring ass GMs, and also helping out the Lightning too. I mean, he takes some salary on that David Savard deal mm-hmm. <laughs> to get it through and help his old so, team. So, can we can we talk about Getzloff? Yeah, we yeah. we have. I want to know. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. I know we I know we already kind of talked about it, but like, would you guys have been pissed if he went to Vegas? Like slightly, because I I don't I wouldn't have wanted to have to root for Vegas in the playoffs. But if it meant you got. Peyton Krebs or a first round pick or Cody Glass or something in return for Getzlaff going to Vegas for three months to try and win a cup and then come back in free agency, then that's a no brainer. Like I'll I'll take the pain of having to watch him skate around in a gold bucket for, you know, twenty yeah. games at the end of the year and come back to Anaheim after that. And then, you know, as Getzlaff said, I mean he's 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 a true leader and a true captain and a, and a guy who truly cares about this organization. Would you guys have bought a Vegas off. jersey with Getzloff on the back? No, no. that's too far. That's that's. Way I wouldn't far. have done it because they don't look good. Like Fox Adam, oh, those great jerseys. That's a great helmet. Would look great with Getzloff on the back of it. So my thing with that was, <laughs> I would have been bummed if he would have left, but I wouldn't blame him, and I think it would be great for the franchise in so much as. You know, we came to a, an amicable agreement, and he wanted to go take another run at it, and we were going to see what we can get. Finding out, though, that he pretty much only was willing to do it to get a premium asset for Anaheim, and then when that didn't materialize, he, he was like, oh, well, then fuck it, it's not worth it, like, genuinely makes me love him more. Like, yeah. I, I really do think that it cannot be overstated how how dope it is that he was like, yo, if we can like get some, like, I know, I know in my heart, Bob Murray was like, I will trade you for Peyton Krebs. I will take any stupid, dumb salary you need me to take. I want Peyton Krebs. And they were like, nope. And hung up. (laughs) And that's totally fine. (laughs) What, what I love about it though, is like, he could have let come to Bob Murray and said, I want out because I want to win a cup. But he, was asked to waive his new move clause. He waived it strictly to say, hey, if you can get something for me that's going to help this organization in the future, I'll go. Like, I'll leave. I don't even care about it. Like, I, I, don't even, I think if Vegas was a bad team, he still would have gone there. Like, yeah, they're a great team and one of the best teams in the NHL. I don't think that had anything to do with the fact that he was willing to go there. He was willing to go there because Vegas is close to his hometown. That's exactly right. And because I don't think, you know, the Sharks... Really- Oh, go, yeah. sorry. No, no, no. no, no. no. I, I think the, the Sharks and in, in the, the Kings might have been in that discussion if they were teams that were, were actually going to be interested in him. The only reason you know Vegas is interested in him is because they have a legitimate use for him as a playoff-bound team. The rest of the teams in this area, maybe outside of Colorado, which could be too far for him, are not teams that are going to be competing for a Stanley Cup this year. So Vegas just really became the only option. You don't have a ton of leverage there at the end of the day to be like, hey, give us Peyton Krebs for, for Ryan Getzlaff. If they're all, the only team that he's willing to go to it is, is legitimately interested in bringing him in. 
Uh, but like like Steven said, it just speaks to Ryan Getzlaff's character so much and how much he cares about this organization that he wasn't leaving to seek a Stanley Cup. Like, he could care less. He just said, hey, if you can get something good that's going to help this organization, I'll go for three months, I'll play for another team, and I'll come back. So here, real quick, I want to talk about what DB just said. He said they shouldn't have asked him to waive his no move if they didn't have a deal in place. Here's the thing that I think is important. Based on the information we have, Montreal called Anaheim uh, earlier in the week specifically to inquire about him. I 100% know that because they have Perry, they thought that Ryan Getzloff would want, would be more inclined to come there because those two are incredibly close. Um, and so I, I don't think that's what happened. I would imagine that what happened is Bob Murray got some phone calls. He probably told the guy on the other phone, like, look, I don't think he's going to want to do it, but I'll run it by him or whatever. He called Getsy and he was like, hey, this is a thing that's going on. People are asking about you. You know, I've always said, you know, we've kind of always agreed that it was going to be up to you and we'll figure it out from there. If this is something you're interested in, great. If not, whatever. And I'm sure he kind of sat there and thought about it. He was like, well, fuck, I can afford a flight to Vegas that, you know, my family, which probably already got the fucking vaccine, like, I can put them on a flight. It's an hour to Vegas. They can come see me or whatever. No big deal. Drive in a car three hours, whatever it is. And so he was like, well, fuck it. I'll go to Vegas. They're a good team. That might be fun. See if I can get a cup on a, you know, on an expansion team or whatever. That'd be weird. And then they couldn't make it happen, and Bob Murray and Getzloff decided that it wasn't worth it. You know, yeah. I think if he really wanted to go chase somewhere, uh, he'd be in Montreal. And I think if he really, if they were really trying to get rid of him, it would have come out very differently, and the story and the conversation about it would be very different. I, I really do believe that this was a genuinely um, just and amiable thing like i really do just think bob murray just hit him up it's like hey this is what's going on and he was like oh not really and then he was like oh fuck it vegas ain't that bad and we're like ah oh, they're not gonna give us anything ah fuck it like i really do just think it's that simple i don't think um that there was anything disrespectful by anybody in this no i for sure that wouldn't go that way i, I don't think they asked him like i don't think they they came to him and specifically said would you like wave your no move clause i think it was like you said steven they said hey this team's interested, this team's interested, this team's interested. Would you go to any one of these teams? Right. And he sat back and thought about it and said, you know, I'd go to Vegas. And then he waived his no-move clause to go to Vegas. It wasn't like, hey, we're trading you. Will you waive your no-move clause? I think it was like a, a conversation he had and saying, hey, man. like I would love to know what that deal could have been from Vegas, though, because, I mean, he's a UFA anyway. So it's probably Ryan Reeves. Why, are you are you in that boat of <laughs> no, people I'm who are saying I'll take? Well, Ryan Reeves is on the LTIR apparently, so um, maybe it could have been just to, to get that. Yeah, contract, he but. makes like one seven. I a hundred percent bet you it would have been um, Ryan Getzloff fifty percent retained, traded to somewhere, then fifty percent retained again for Ryan Getzloff, traded to Vegas. Vegas would probably move Ryan Reeves out with, or, you know, Carrier or someone fucking like that. One of those dumb bottom six contracts that they have. And they would have just called it a day. I mean, hell, they could have moved one of their, you know, defensemen or whatever too. But that's probably just what it would have been is it would have just been a roster swap. And then, you know, I think Anaheim would have been hoping for a a conditional second, maybe would have been as low as they were going to go on pick or a high end prospect. 
Pat, you can't tell me you're a part of the group that uh, is going to say we should have got whatever we could have for Ryan Getzlaff. Because I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, that's a bad. On Twitter that was no, like, I don't think, think any so. Any asset's a good asset because Josh Manson was a fifth or sixth round pick, and Troy Terry no, was a fifth round pick. No, so I just wonder what it was, right? Like if it was like we'll give you a fifth round pick for Getzlaff, which it wasn't. But I mean, I wonder what they were waiting for. Like that's that's a thing I would really wonder what it was going to be. Yeah, so, I would love to know what that like threshold was like. I would bet you it was a third. Like it wouldn't surprise me if. Vegas was like, I'll give you a third, maybe make it to a second if we add, like, conditions. And I'm sure Bob was like, I'm starting at a second because my guy is going to have to leave and go do this whole thing. And you know what I mean? Like, it would have been a little bit of a production for Getzloff. I think it would be much higher, honestly. I think it would have been at least a second with that second conditionally potentially turning into a first, if not a, a glass or a Krebs. Like, I... I oh, think if I, it was a third, Vegas would have paid it, and he would be gone. No, 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 that's that what was... I'm saying. I'm saying Vegas offered a third, and I'm saying Bob Murray wasn't taking that. Yeah, okay. no, there's no way he's going to do that. Bobby was only in it for high picks. Um, the uh, Maybe the saddest thing that uh, I found out on Twitter today, besides Bob Murray not doing jack shit, was uh, Tampa's Lindholm's done for the year, and I have tickets to two of the games, and it's uh, going to bum me out. I don't get to see my boy play. Broken wrist. He's done. It's very sad. But yeah. uh, th- that's that actually bothered me more than the trade deadline. That was a bummer. Not really, just kidding. Fuck Bob Murray. Um, what do you guys want to get to next? <laughs> um, I was going to ask no, you guys to grade the trade deadline. Would you guys? How do you guys feel about uh, Bobby's Bobby's trade C, deadline today? C plus. C plus. Yeah, for sure. It was good, but there's just nothing. Nothing was it great. Good. But- but it, like the, the, we're going to run in circles on this argument. Like the, the trades were not bad. You got a fifth for this a is, guy you signed to a PTO, and you got a young potential. Yeah, they, they're not bad deals when you look at them in a vacuum. As a whole, this deadline was like a D minus or a D. There's no way it's almost a B. The deadline he, he didn't do a, anything. He didn't do anything. But the, that's that the D minus is that you're giving it isn't because of today. It's because of everything before today. It's a D. You're giving the context to D minus, and I don't disagree, right? I don't. But like he got a pick for nothing, okay. and then he turned a 28, 29 year old six defenseman into a potential top four, 22 minute a night guy. Uh, That's a great fucking trade. We'll see. That's a great fucking trade. We'll see. Even if it doesn't come good, objectively, value-wise, that's great. It's a D. The problem is, he should have done more. And For a team that's dead last in the West, <laughs> you would thought you would think there'd be a little more urgency here. There's just not. So yeah, yeah. It, it, again, it, we're running in, in circles on a lot I of these know. topics. It's just it's one of those years where, you know, you didn't have to be forced into a deal. If we sit down here next year and it's the same conversation and Ricard and Raquel and Josh Manson as UFAs or as pending UFAs are a part, a part of where, like the Ducks organization still, then I'll sit there and say, okay, you know, I can understand where you're coming from. I'm mad. I, these, these are a situation where you should have taken the best offer you could have got for them and just moved on and said, okay, see you later. And if that happens to be a second or a third or, you know, a B-level prospect, it is what it is. You know, and then we can sit here and, and harp on hypotheticals on why didn't you trade him last deadline? Why didn't you trade him at the draft? But you know, it, it's it's just it's such a tough thing to judge because it all comes down to we don't know what offers they received, 
And I'm on the fence because if it was a first and they turned it down, I'd be upset. If it was a second and they turned it down, I'm, I'm fine with that because I wouldn't have wanted to sell low on him. So it's so hard to kind of pick your side of the fence, at least for me, because I don't know what those offers were. You know, there, there's at least in, in my opinion, there's certain like a level of where I would say, OK, I accept everything above this and I would be OK with them not accepting everything below that without knowing where there are on that scale, it's hard for me to say, oh, it was, you know, it's a big failure that they didn't trade these guys when they still have another year to do so. Let's see. That's, that's, yeah. And I think that's kind of exactly what I've been trying to kind of get at tonight. And I don't know how. No, you guys, you guys made a lot of sense. <laughs> but, I'm just, I, I I'm just more think, or less, I just feel like it's, a, it's just been a failure as I a whole think, for a while. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I don't want it to seem like, you know, I don't want to speak for Eddie, but I'm sure he feels similarly. Like, I am not trying to go out of my way to defend Bob Murray and his decision-making. I am trying to look at the individual moves, the opportunity cost of making or not making those trades, and go from there, right? I think the arrow is trending down, or any trending up that it is doing is entirely based on how good Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegers look. Um, but I think it is important that they look to, uh, you know, start to kind of maximize, or I'm sorry, I got caught up. Uh, I think it's important that they, they look to transition the leadership of the organization. I think it's absolutely time. I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, We've been begging for it, man. Yeah, but I, I think you can say that and also say today wasn't fatal in the same breath, and I don't think it's hypocritical or talking, you know, out of both sides of your mouth. No, you guys, you guys hit the nail on the head with that. I, 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 I don't think it's fatal. But uh, Chris, I'll be at the game the twenty fourth and the first, so I'll see you one of those days. Um, it, it's I would I was in no way, shape, or form making it seem like, and if I did, I apologize that today was like the end all be all. It's just another disappointment, no. and it's a bigger disappointment. And I'll be even more angry come draft time. So yep. let's see what happens here. Do we have questions we want to get to before we wrap this up? Or Yeah, we had a few fan questions that trickled in uh, through Twitter throughout the day. Um, I wanted to get to a couple of them. One of them was from D.B. Lowry, and I think it was a good point reflected from today's game and, and on Jamie Drysdale. And I saw a few people mentioning this on Twitter and uh, the question was, why is Aiken still playing Drysdale on his offside, even with Hackenpuck gone? So the Ducks pairings tonight were uh, Fowler, Walensky, because Walensky coming in for Hackenpuck, who just got traded, Drysdale with Manson, and then Larson and Shattenkirk, and Larson coming in for Hutton, who got traded to the Leafs. Do you guys have any issues with Drysdale on his offside? Because I honestly don't. I, I, I really don't see a problem with it at all. I think it is the right decision given who the other ones are. I think if Kevin Shattenkirk was comfortable playing the left side, he'd have been doing it for a while already. I think given the roster decision or giving the guys in the lineup that they had, I think they knew they were going to have four right-hand shots and the most skilled of those right-hand shots just also happens to be the 19-year-old kid. Um, I do think once Hayden Fleury comes in and once everything starts to move forward, especially with knowing Lindholm's not coming back, I do imagine we are going to see a uh, Flurry-Drysdale pair. I do think that's a thing that might happen. Um, but for now, I think Drysdale's the one guy that I would be the most comfortable with playing on his offhand side just because of 
how skilled he is, how well he skates, and um, he's done a good job on that side already. So I don't think they need to run away from it. I'd be okay and I don't with think it. it's permanent. Yeah, It'd be good. I, I, I don't. I don't have any fear with this kid plays. You could put him at Ford. I'd be like, I don't see why you're doing that, but I think he'd be good <laughs> at it. He's no hundred Drew. <laughs> Can't play right. Him <laughs> but honestly, like I have no issue with this because I honestly think it changes next year. One, like if Hamlin's Lindholm was healthy, do we really think we're playing Jamie Drysdale on the left side of the ice? What, mm-hmm. I, I don't think so because the top is going to be Fowler and uh, and Lindholm, and then you've likely got Manson and Shattenkirk who pair up with those guys. So Fowler, Shattenkirk, or Lindholm, Shattenkirk, and then the remainder with Manson, and then it's Drysdale with Hayden Fleury or Jacob Larson. I think that's how it goes. I. I don't you that. can't Don't criticize him with Jacob Larson. Don't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just knowing the Ducks and the way they're going to pair guys with, you would know he would be at the, at the if bottom. If everybody's healthy, I'm telling you right now, they play him with Hampus Lindholm. No questions asked. Which would be great. It, it would be great. And and I could see that happening. And the, the, the thing is, like, I don't think them playing Drysdale with Manson and playing Drysdale on his left was something that they planned on doing long term but then all of a sudden they just worked together and it was just a pairing that worked and now they're going up against the opposition's top you know, top offensive weapons every night and doing a good job and to the extent that we saw Jamie Drysdale on the penalty kill for the first time all season and I know that's kind of a, a it's a necessity at this point when you've got Larson and Walensky in the lineup and Shattenkirk who's not really a great penalty killer and you've got to throw somebody on that second unit so Jamie Drysdale kind of is, is the guy who gets tagged into it at that point but you know I still think I, you play gets off at defense that's a whole nother question right there <laughs> 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 on, on, on the legitimacy of playing gets off at D I can see it but uh no, but beyond this season, I think Jamie Drysdale goes back to the right side of the fence when everybody's healthy. When you've got Lindholm, Fowler, Flurry, Shattenkirk, Manson, Drysdale, that's three lefties, three righties. Uh, I would assume he'd go back to the right side, and, and all of this will be forgotten. Is COVID the best thing to happen to Jamie Drysdale's career? Yep. Okay, just making uh, sure we're yeah, on the same page. Early, early signs point towards <laughs> being yes, because otherwise he'd be playing in Erie right now. And I'd hate I'm to say fun. that. Because it sounds terrible to say, but like, really? We would have never seen this kid at all. It's like a, not that COVID's great at all, but it's pretty cool we get to see him come out and play. Dude, yeah. I, I'm not convinced five years from now we're not sitting here saying COVID was the best thing to happen to the Ducks because we got <laughs> Degris and Dreesdale up in the lineup. Like, for real. Like, uh, there's a lot to be said for how odd this situation is and how much it goes against everything Anaheim has typically done that uh, <laughs> we really might have found, you know, the pot of gold as far as uh, the end of that shit rainbow. <laughs> I, I mean, the same could be said for Jacob Perot as much as it is for, for Jamie Drysdale. Like oh, both cool. of that's these a guys, great one, yeah. Both of these guys wouldn't have got AHL time. They both would be back in the OHL, Perot with Sarnia and Drysdale with Erie. Perot has 11 points in 16 games with the girls. He came back from injury. He's got two goals and five he assists, I think, in, in – five or six games and he's got nine points or seven points since coming back from injury a guy who'll probably get or at least should get an nhl look in the last few games of the season there's i highly doubt the ohl is going to have a season this year the ontario's on lockdown until the beginning of may it just wouldn't make sense at this point but to think that these two guys would have been had to be back in the ohl if not in the nhl this year 
it, it's it's you know it's drawing a positive from a, a shitty situation sure but it, it's great for their development to see and it, and it begs the question going forward is the chl nhl agreement something that the nhl really wants to continue doing because it's made the american hockey league must see tv for a lot of hockey fans when you think that their top prospects are playing in that league like how many of us bought ahl tv to watch zegris and drysdale this year i i know i was one of those people i wouldn't have bought it without it i maybe would have bought I it use someone else's login but you know you're watching right you're watching the games and i'm sure <laughs> you look at uh winnipeg jets fans cole perfetti would be playing in the ohl this year but he's playing in the ahl he's doing really well and i'm sure there's a lot of manitoba moose fans that are, are watching those games that normally wouldn't have future uh, and, anaheim duck cole perfetti yeah it, it's 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 excellent for the league to have more eyes on the ahl and it's it's great for player development to not force them to go back to a league that they're not going to gain anything from and play against you know top competition and and you know it's not just drysdale and zegris and perot there's plenty of other examples from around the league at guys who benefited heavily from not having to go back to junior hockey this year. Now, there's always going to be the Braden Tracys who had zero points in 12, a- 12 AHL games go back to junior, and, and they needed it. But there's going to be the, the guys like Zegris and Drysdale who benefit a lot from being able to play professional hockey this year when they normally wouldn't have been able to. Mm-hmm. So are you guys excited to do another late-night show on Wednesday? <laughs> Love <laughs> these 7, 7.30, 10.30 starts. Beautiful. Uh, against the Sharks. It's always it's always great. It's almost 3 a.m. here, so. <laughs> love well, it. well, let's wrap that up then. Eddie, you're in the future. You're in tomorrow. Uh, Steven and I are very curiously awaiting to see what happens in the next day, whereas you already know all the happenings. But uh, <laughs> tonight was fun. Sorry if I kind of ran us in a circle a bit. I was very fired up about Bob Barry today, clearly, as you guys know. But, um, hey, the Ducks won tonight. That was a nice little uh, icing on the cake there. Raquel had a nice goal. It was pretty. And anytime you can beat the Sharks, I mean, we always like doing that. But um, we'll be back on Wednesday. I don't know who's on the show other than Steven's not. So Yeah, I won't be here. We'll definitely figure that out in the next Jay might be making his return. uh, Jay might make his return now. Hmm. He should have been here tonight. I'm disappointed. Disappointed. Pat Solo show? Wednesday? What? Pat Solo show. We'll see what happens. That's, that's what I heard. I'm just saying. Uh, that's that's the that's the that's the uh, information coming down the pipeline. All right, I got to talk to our upper management about that. I don't know if I love it, but uh, <laughs> thanks everybody for tuning in on a late night. We love you guys. Thanks for the support, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Bye everybody.